Hi there, and welcome to my Fashion Stories Box podcast, a podcast about stories in fashion history. I am Catherine, and I am so glad to welcome you here. Let's discover together interesting facts about fashion and history and fashion history. The French Revolution acted as a breaking point in terms of fashion silhouettes. We clearly notice a before and an after. It illustrates how a political event can influence clauses, how fashion can become political. The years that followed the storm of the Bastille in July 1789 were complex years, known under the terms La Terreur, the terror period. In this new episode of my Fashion Stories Book podcast, I wanted to analyze a bit more in details how fashion trends started to develop after the revolution and the influence this French Revolution had on them. I chose for that this group of people called Les Incroyables et les Merveilleuses, the Incredibles and the Wonderfuls, and their texts on the revolution and the guillotine. Considered to be the post-French Revolution fashion influencers and having their own conception of style, these men and women would act as a link between the old regime fashion and the end of the 18th century silhouette. To understand them better, we will look at the historical and political context in which they took part. We will then analyze their origins and their lifestyle. And finally, by analyzing their fashion silhouettes, we will try to decipher the messages they wanted to communicate through their experimentation in clauses and style. The years which would follow the French Revolution were difficult, to say the least, filled with uncertainties, trials, tries, blood, and the reign of the feared guillotine. Everything could be used against you to be suspected of betrayal and non-conformity to the ideals of the French Revolution revolving around the three main keywords, liberty, equality, fraternity. But the smallest suspicion to support the old regime, the royal family, the monarchy could be enough to make you taste in the best case the prisons, in the worst the cold field of the guillotine knife on your neck. It even had a legal framework called the Law of Suspects, adopted in September the 17th, 1793 by the National Convention, and according to which would be considered as suspects every person who, either by their behavior or by their relations, their talks or their writings, demonstrated sympathy for the tyranny, federalism, and for the enemies of the nation. It would include the noble families and all their members, husbands, wives, sisters, brothers, sons, daughters, parents of emigres, dismissed servants, officers suspected of treason. There are testimonies according to which, following 1798, the guillotine worked non-stop in Paris and that the streets were filled with rivers of blood. Some data talk about 500,000 suspects during the reign of the terror, with around 16,580 executions. Josephine de Beauharnais, the future wife of Napoleon Bonaparte, would be arrested and put into jail, and her ex-husband, Alexandre de Beauharnais, even though in favor of the ideas of the revolution and his active contribution, would be beheaded. 
the majority of the aristocracy tried to flee to London to escape this atmosphere of terror, waiting for calmer times to come back. A time which will arrive in 1794. Indeed, on July 27, 1794, Robespierre, the head of the French Revolution and an extremist, got beheaded. This event would act as the end of the terror. The law of suspects would be suppressed in October 1795 with the setup of the Directory, a political system adopted during the First French Republic from the Fort Brunner Year 4 French Revolutionary Calendar, meaning October 26, 1795, or four years after the French Revolution in 1789, to 18 Brumaire Year 8, or November 9, 1799. This transitional period will see the internal affairs stabilizing for France, but an activity on the external side with battles against the Austrians and military campaigns in Italy. A general will prove himself on the fields, securizing important victories. And this person is no other than Napoleon Bonaparte, the future emperor of the French. It is in this context of relative political relaxation that the incroyable and the merveilleux would bloom. Who were these men and women? What did they try to achieve? Starting from 1795, as we could see earlier, the social climate in France will be more tolerant. A new form of culture will develop, as well as social activities, as a, deriva a derivative to forget about the bloody years of the terror. Young people from former aristocrat families who emigrated or who got released from prisons would launch a new way of living and would have a particular sense of humor. They achieved posterity under the name of Les Incroyables et les Merveilleuses. For them, the apogee of elegance was to emphasize some physical infirmity. Their physical appearance was more caricature, something ridiculous. As their way of life, they didn't aim at beauty. At some point, they aimed at criticism, at reacting to the political earthquake that was the French Revolution, and they quite despised the French Revolution. Before analyzing how these men and women from the post-revolution golden youth used to dress, let's look at how they lived. These young people had one common point. They were royalists and hated the French Revolution with a passion, to such an extent that they would banish the letter or from their vocabulary. Mind you, the word revolution starts with an or. This letter, though, is quite common in French, and it's a bit difficult to completely eradicate it. They will change the pronunciation of it to make the or sound softer, disappearing, a bit like an English pronunciation. So, instead of saying French style incroyable, incredible, They would say something sounding like incroyable, incredible. This pronunciation was one part of their differentiation. Another part of their differentiation was the type of vocabulary they used. 
and the incredible and wonderful were fan of superlatives, something we will also see in their way of dressing. To comment what was happening around them or to react or to express some emotions, they would use words as incroyable, merveilleux, for example, a bit like punctuation marks. The frequency of, of the use of these words in a sentence would give them their nickname. Les incroyables, the incredibles for the men, and les merveilleuses, the wonderfuls for the women. All in exaggeration and emphasis. You would be able to spot them even before seeing them, as they would go around shouting sentences like C'est incroyable, ma parole d'honneur! Or, mais c'est horrible, en vérité, my power victimisé, my power supreme. Many contemporaries made fun of these eccentrics, as the Journal de Paris, which published in July 11, 1795, a quite colorful description of their way of speaking. In the human species, we can't help but noticing the expression of a manifest batardization. The unfortunate young people affected by this fact avoid with an extreme care to utter consonants. Their lips seem to almost not moving and from the light friction they make, a faint hum is produced. And this is quite a nice, almost objective description of the way the Incredibles and the Wonderfuls would speak. Poirier Le Boiteux, a commentator of that time, would, in his book called Le Portrait des Incroyables, use stronger words to describe them. Their speech mannerism won't be the only thing impacted by the trauma of the French Revolution. Their social occupations too. One example would be what was known under the name Le Bal des Victimes, Ball of the Victims. In these balls were admitted only those who lost family members during the terror, beheaded by the guillotine. And there, you had to follow a certain protocol to commemorate this dark period. Men would greet each other by an abrupt bow of the head meaning to symbolize the head being cut by the knife of the guillotine. Women would wear a red ribbon around their neck, meaning to symbolize where the knife of the guillotine would cut the head from the throat. During plays, for example, they would openly express the support to any mention of what was considered, according to the revolution standards, against freedom and equality. They would applaud, shout at any reference to the old regime, to the monarchy, and would do standing ovations to anything against the revolution and the republic. They were against the government and weren't afraid to express it explicitly. Quite a courageous behavior, almost a reckless one, especially if we remember the terror which struck until 1795. As you could understand, the incredible and the wonderful weren't exactly revolutionaries. They were royalists and would express their political opposition in any way possible. And fashion was, of course, 
one of the paths they took to visually communicate their displeasure of the Republic. Let's look now at how men and women, part of this protesting movement, would dress. And we will start with men, the famous Incredible. As I mentioned earlier, beauty wasn't the aesthetic they were looking for. They would use the garment, their accessories, and even their hairstyle, of course to commemorate those who died under the guillotine, but also to make their physical appearance disgusting, in a way. A regular, incredible man would look, would look like a version of an aristocratic parrot wearing ill-suited clothes. Maybe to translate how ill-fitted they were felt in this new society, or to translate how ugly they found this new France, one can wonder. They would wear frock coats featuring large collars in the front. The back neck was usually black to differentiate them from the red ones worn by the Republicans. In the back, the fabric was styled to show a bump, as if they were hunchbacked. Their cravat would be a large piece of cloth wrapped around their neck up to the chin, almost hiding it as if to hide a third issue. And their pants weren't cut better. They would wear them knee-length, reminding the breeches worn during the old regime and replaced by the revolutionary pants. But the cut of these breeches would make their legs look disfigured, not neat. It gave a twisted aspect, very unkept. Their shoes weren't better. They would wear long pointed shoes, reminding the middle-aged Poulen shoes. Their hairstyle was also something. Short in the back, long in the front with curls or braids. This way of styling the hair was another reference to the guillotine and its victims. People condemned to be beheaded would have their back hair cut to prevent any incident and to be sure the neck would be cut properly in one shot. The Incredibles would recreate this. Their back hair would be either cut short or pulled up in a sort of bun attached with a comb. On each side of their face, their hair would be longer, with the, and the style was called a de chien, dog's ears. A guillotine-inspired hairstyle, anybody? And what about the accessories? Well, they would wear hoop earrings, making them look like parrots. They would also have hats, most of the time beacon hats with exaggerated forms. They won't go outside without eyeglasses or pince-nez, as if they were short-sighted or didn't want to see what was around them. And they would always have with them a sort of cane, looking more like a bludgeons. They nicknamed it my executive power, and they happily used it to beat the Republicans each time they would cross paths with one of them in the streets. In 1793, Alexandre Aubert would describe them in the caricatural Le Boeuf à la Mode as follows. Now we see a well-built man who, under square clothes, looks heel-shaped breeches falling mid-calf, and shoes impracticable, his chin hidden in a large handkerchief, which during a meal acts as a bib. So, you see the look, right? 
something unmissable in the streets. However, under the hill-shaped silhouette, I see something preluding the rise of the dandies beginning of the 19th century. Not you? Women weren't to be outdone, and the merveilleuse played also their part to pay tribute to the victims of the terror and to scandalize the society in the same time. If you listen to my episode dedicated to Marie-Antoinette, you learn that starting from 1783, she introduced a simplification in style with dresses featuring no volume and a higher waist. This trend will go on during the period of the Revolution and after. The characteristic of the merveilleuse, as for the incroyable, is that they would push the trends to the extreme. Their main source of inspiration will be ancient Greece and ancient Rome and the sculptures of these times. Dresses will be shorter, showing the feet and the ankles, made of lighter and, most of the time, see-through fabrics, featuring some drappings and folds with a high waist. And to make sure the legs would be seen, women would even wear the bottom of their dress on their arms, as if to prevent the hemlines to get dirty. The fabrics used were so translucent, it was called l'air tissu, fabrics of hair, that gave the impression women were completely naked. These dresses were so fitted to the body that it wasn't possible to sew pockets in them. No problem! Women would have small bags with them to carry their belongings, called ballantine or reticule, soon to become ridicule. As shoes, the inspiration will also come from the antiquity. They would wear sandals, the cothernus, with ribbons or linked, decorated with pearls. And the hair is also styled ancient Greece way, short with buns, curls and braids, topped with large hats, headbands, bonnets, turbans with a big ostrich feather on the top, chapeau cornet and so on. Wigs were also in fashion, most of the time made from blonde hair. And women would wear shawls and spencers, a high-waisted coat to counterbalance the lightness of their dresses, but also to underline the silhouette of it. A particular dressing style will really scandalize people during the period of the directory. Women would wear a body made of light gauze worn with a pair of trousers in silk, in nude tones and quite revealing. So revealing that some merveilleux influencers would be sent wine leaves to hide themselves. A bit too much and too avant-garde for the time, though. Not even sure how modern society would be ready for that. Apart if you're Kim Kardashian, maybe. Kim Kardashian, a merveilleuse from the 21st century? Many female influencers would emerge who would dictate audacity. Fortuné Hamelin, Juliette Recamier, Germaine de Stael, Madame Raguet, Teresa Talien, and Joséphine de Beauharnais, future Miss Napoleon Bonaparte. But the unquestioned queen of the merveilleuse was Teresa Talien. She would wear rings at her toes, bracelets at her legs, introduced a slit 
in the dress to show to show off legs when she would walk. La Gazette des Merveilleuses, one of the fashion magazines of the time, dated from November 29, 1797, would describe the style of the queen of the merveilleuse as follows. The last time I saw Madame Talien, this wonderful was wearing a simple dress made of muslin from the Indies, draped the antique way and attached at the shoulders with two camels. A belt in gold was tightened at her waist and was also fastened with a camel. A large gold bracelet stopped and fastened her sleeve high above her elbow. On her beautiful and white shoulders was a superb red cashmere shawl and draped around her in a picturesque and gracious manner. Hair in a velvet black, cut short and curled all around the head, completed in an adorable way this ravishing picture. As for men, women were also sources of fun and many caricatures circulated about their fashion styles. However, and maybe for the first time in history, after so many centuries of restricting corsets, petticoats and other paniers, fashion for women was free, comfortable, maybe prodding the flappers of the 20s. The Merveilleuse would really act as a transition between Marie-Antoinette's fashion legacy and the next-century high-waisted dress. Too big, too short, too revealing, too political, but certainly not neutral. This was the fashion of the post-revolution in France. A fashion not aiming at being beautiful, but a fashion aiming at being controversial. Still, a fashion imprinted with a wind of freedom. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of my Fashion Stories Box podcast dedicated to the Incredibles and the Wonderfuls, a group of people who used fashion as political opposition in the post-revolution French society that few knows about but who deserve, to me, a better recognition and visibility. Feel free to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen your podcast, to connect with me on Instagram and Facebook, to complete the podcast with some visuals. And if you like my podcast, feel free to leave a comment or a review. I would really appreciate it. I am Catherine, and this is my Fashion Stories Box podcast, a podcast about stories in fashion history. See you next time for a new Fashion Story Box. Bye.